We're going to dive right in. We're, tonight we're talking about uh, the last lesson of the series that Pastor's been teaching on eschatology. And we're going to speak on tonight the parables of prophecy. Reading in your handout now, I find it ironic. This is from Pastor Harpole. I find it ironic that the very secular researchers who denounce the existence of God also make the discoveries that support the Bible's original commands and thoughts. After many years of research, it has been determined that the family unit, the nuclear family, produces emotionally healthy and functional children. Family quote-unquote scientists, i.e. family psychologists, have combed criminal records, college entries, divorce rates, and a host of other things to determine that daily communication strengthens honesty, integrity, good work ethic, and sound citizenship. Of course, we already know this through the scripture. This lesson tonight involves the need for biblical understanding as it relates to salvation and the end times. Just as secular researchers have been fundamental, fundamental difference in communicating, we too believe that the teaching of our, our families about the rapture, Christ's second coming, the tribulation, will enable them to prepare for that great day of the Lord. Somebody say amen. Now, I'm going to do my very best to teach. Someone has said to me, I'm looking forward to actually hearing you teach because I'm uh, a bit high strung in the spiritual aspect of it, I would say. So I said, well, I can't promise just to teach. I'll probably treach, which is teach a little bit and it may turn into a little bit of preaching, but then we'll go back to teaching. Is that all right? Revelation chapter 1 Verse 1 through 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Verse 2, who bear record of the word and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Verse 3 says, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. So there's some aspects of the revelation that we must declare first and foremost. Number one is declaring the nature of Jesus Christ in the fullness of who he is. It's that we may know him in, in order to be a part of the resurrection of, a, of the dead and from the dead. Philippians 3 and 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being made conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. That's the purpose of us coming on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and Sunday nights. Not only that we may one day make it when he calls that, that last trump and it blows and to be called up together with them. Not only for that day, but while we are here, we have to be intentional about what we do, not only with our lives, but with our families as well. The very first four words of this passage of scripture gives us a declaration of the owner of the owner or of he of whom it references by revelation, which is Jesus Christ. He is the who. 
He is the revelation. That is his revelation. So we don't want to refuse that the Lord wants what he wants to show us in that time. Amen. Whatever God wants to show us through revelation, we must be willing to open our minds and our spirits, our thought process to say, Lord, if this is what you have for me, I don't want to refute it. A refusal to know him as who he is is seen when we neglect the very study of revelation. It is the revelation, is revelation only confined to his virgin birth? No. In other words, is the revelation of who God is confined only to the virgin birth by Mary? No. Is that all we live for is to pronounce and declare that he was born of a virgin, that God manifested himself in Mary by the Holy Ghost and he came to this earth? No, that's not the all in all. Is it confined to the Godhead, the, that hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord? Is it confined to the fact that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God? And the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Is that all that revelation is? No. There's more that God has for us than just the birth the life, the death, and the oneness of who He is. If we are to ensure the salvation of ourselves and our families, we must provide the full revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want everything that God has for me in my life. The things that I know and the things that I have yet to know. We've got to open up his word because I'm a firm believer that if we will open up the word and say, Lord, I want you, you know, when I pray and I get ready for personal time of study or reading the word, I ask God, Lord, I want you to anoint my mind that I comprehend. I want you to anoint my heart that I receive and I retain. And I want you to touch my body and my spirit that I act upon what you show me. That ought to be the prayer of each and every one of us. That every time the word of God is either opened in our personal lives. Or we come to a Bible study or the preach word of God is given to us. We say, Lord, touch my mind that I understand what the spirit is saying. Anoint my ears that I hear. Somebody ought to say amen. See, the birth of Jesus Christ, it's a wonderful thing. It's never happened before and nor has it happened since that time. But that revelation alone will not save us. There is something exciting. I remember when I first got in the church, I didn't know anything about anything of the Bible. I didn't even know that Genesis was the first book or Revelation was the last book. I didn't even know the name of Jesus was his name. I didn't know anything about it, but I remember when someone sat me down and gave me a Bible study about who God is, the revelation of the Godhead. I remember it, it was like a light bulb just, just clicked and I, I see it. I see it. I, I can't explain it, but I understand how it comes and, but see, that alone is not enough to keep me until that second coming, until that, that rapture day. We have to know more than just the birth and the Godhead. It's not enough just to quote Acts chapter 2 verse 38. 
It's not enough to just quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4 or Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 or Isaiah 9 and 6, the verses that speak of His coming and the birth and of who He is. We have to have revelation of more of that because it is the revelation of His intent in the earth at the end of time. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what God wants to expose to us is what his plan is beyond the birth, beyond knowing who he is in the fullness of his Godhead. It is knowing what his main intention is for myself and my family as well as yours. What do I do with myself and my family here on earth until I am raptured or taken by grave? See, we spend a lot of times doing things with our families intentionally. I intentionally... You know, play with my kids, play basketball or volleyball or, you know, foosball or we, 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 I intentionally include my kids in laundry. You may not know this about me, but I'm very OCD when it comes to my clothes. I'll be transparent for a moment. I like my undershirts folded a certain way. I like my socks done a certain way. I like my pants hung up a certain way. But I've had to learn with children, I have to include them in the laundry so maybe they can take on some of my traits. It's not happened in 14 years. I can't see him grabbing hold of it. I'm just hoping and praying he one day picks his clothes up out of the bathroom floor. He does good. They love it. I say, all right, guys, come in here. We got a big surprise. They're like, yes, what is it, Dad? Are we going to Disney World? Are we going to Holiday World? Are we going to see Mimi and Papa? No, we're going to see this big pile of laundry disappear. Heads hang low. Spirits fall. We have to go into intercessory prayer to build their faith back up. But we do things. You do things with your family intentionally. To not only teach them, but to prepare them for life. I was talking to my son last night, and he's 14. And I think about that, and I think, wow, 14. In my mind, I'm really 21 years old, but my body says I'm almost 40. So it's hard for me to gather that I have a 14-year-old son. And my wife brought to my attention that, you know, he's getting at the age where he needs to possibly... Start getting a part-time job. And so I was preparing him as gently as a dad does about a part-time job. And he began to tell me, Dad, I'm going to lose every bit of freedom I have. Not going to be able to have any freedom if I get a job. I said, you're not going to work 50 hours a week. It'll just be, a, you know, 10 to 15 hours. Are you kidding me? I said, bud, you got to learn work ethic now. It's Life is more than just picking up laundry and making your bed. I want you to be a good worker, a hard worker. I want you to be intentional about your life. That way, when mom and dad aren't around, people say, he's a good worker. He's going to be faithful and show up. That you learn the value of hard work through the dollar. We're still not to the point of agreement yet. We'll get there. He's got a little bit of time. But we are intentional about it. And so it is with God. God is intentional about His purpose with you and I on this earth. God did not just take me out of the miry clay, 
put my name upon the roll and my foot on the rock and say, now you've done a great job, that's good enough. God has purpose for my life and for your life and I want to know what that purpose is while I'm here on this earth. So for what purpose? Verse 3 says, why does God give a purpose for his revelation? Verse 3 explains it to us. To be blessed. See, there are seven beatitudes in Revelation. This is the the first. The others are found, and I'll go through those here shortly. But John wanted the book read at once and preferably, preferably, excuse me, aloud in the churches. So what are the seven beatitudes of the book of Revelation? Here they are. So, and why are they given? They're given to us so that we can be blessed. Do you know that God wants to bless you? Not only financially, but physically and emotionally and, and mentally. God wants, He wants to bless you all that you are and everything that you are. So Revelations 1 and 3. Here's why the revelation is given. So that we would be blessed. It is the revelation of God's intent. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. Here's what it says. Blessed are they the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. So when we pass away in God, we're blessed. Revelation 16 and 15. It says, behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth. And keepeth his garments, lest he walk uh, away and, sh- and they see his shame. So s- we're blessed when we are aware and we, when we are watchful. When we are r- r- consciously aware of where we are in the time that God has given us. Revelation 19 and 9. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're blessed when we're partakers of God. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse, chapter 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. In other words, the last ones in the church. We're not going to die. The ones that make it in the rapture, they're not going to suffer death. And they're going to be blessed because they did not do so. So they're going to be caught away. The word rapture, as pastor has spoken to us the past several weeks, rapture is not in the Bible. It's the catching away of the saints. It says we're blessed. If that happens, we're blessed by that. Revelation 22 and verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy of this book. So, to keep. We are blessed when we learn to keep what we have. The knowledge that we have. So what does keeping mean? It means we preserve it. We protect it. We pursue it. Every day that he is coming. We live our life with an intentional purpose. That if God comes today, I'm ready to go. If God was to send that last trump right now, I'm ready to go. And I'm blessed when I keep those commandments. Verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments. So we see that it's not all about about keeping. We have to do something with those commandments. Because those commandments equal are, are a pursuit of purity. Which gives us our reward of keeping. I'll say that again. The commandments are the pursuit of purity. Which is the reward to, for our keeping. So to be blessed... And to keep. That's the effect of prophecy. We are blessed when we hear it. We are secure when we understand it. And we are changed when we heed it. Somebody say amen. You know it's, it's one thing to, to see you, 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 you tell somebody something and they, they hear you but they just don't get it. 
So you tell them again and then they may understand it. But then it's even better when, when you tell them, they get it, they understand it, and then they apply it. So what God wants us to do with his revelation is his intent on earth is not only to hear it, not only to see it, not only to comprehend it and understand it, but to apply it to our everyday life. It is the revelation, simply put, it is the revelation of his intent. Jesus spoke a lot in various conversations throughout the scripture and parables. A quarter of what Jesus said dealt with prophecy. So with that being said, a quarter of all of his sayings dealt with prophecy. We must pay attention to the times. We can't know him in all of his fullness without knowing his intent. In other words, if I know him as close as I can and want to, and he wants me to be close to him, the closer I am to him, the closer I know his intentions for my life. So where does our blessing begin? It begins with reading and studying. Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So when we read it and we study it and then we hear it through teaching, we have to apply that word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the revelation is a dual purpose, to bless and to keep. Security comes in knowing and obeying. Now, I want to throw out a couple of disclaimers tonight. Pursuing, number one is this, pursuing the knowledge of Jesus Christ versus total comprehension. This is something that I struggled with when I first got in the church in 1994. That you don't have to know everything right away. You can become frustrated in trying to know everything that someone that is seasoned knows. I remember when I got in church and I didn't have anywhere to go on Sunday, so I would stay at the church. It was a small church that I got the Holy Ghost in, around 65 people. And I would ask the pastor, his name was Pastor Bird, and I said, Pastor Bird, I want to learn to play the drums. Is it okay? I don't have, after I get done with my bus route, can I just stay at the church and practice drums for a little while? And he said, absolutely. Just, you know, don't let anybody in. I was 15 years old. Don't let anybody in, even though I just walked a mile and a half to give me some good old North Carolina barbecue. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you've never had North Carolina barbecue, you got to do that before you can make it in the rapture. No, I'm kidding. We went to, when we would go back home to my home, I would take, my wife would go and I say, we, there's a place in Clayton, North Carolina. It's a suburb of Raleigh and it's only in Clayton and another little suburb. Uh, it's not all over North Carolina, but it's called Smithfield's Chicken and Barbecue. And I, I, I like wet barbecue, but this is a dry barbecue with vinegar and they put slaw on it. I told my wife, we got to stop. We got to stop and get us a barbecue sandwich and she got it with some slaw on it. She said, oh, no, I, you don't put slaw on barbecue. I said, in North Carolina, we do. <laughs> she likes the barbecue. She just don't like the slaw. There's two things you have to have in order to go to heaven. Maybe three things. You have to be born again, Smithfield chicken and barbecue, and Bojangles. And yes, they're all fried chicken. <laughs> But I would go to church and I would, I would play drums for a little bit. We didn't have in-ear systems. We didn't have iPhones. I didn't even have a pager. I wasn't even cool. I didn't even have a pager yet. 
You know, wear the pager on the outside of your pants with the clip showing and you tuck that one side of your shirt in. That way when you walked around, everybody saw you had a pager and you did like doctors. You just randomly picked it up and looked at it. I got to call them back. And ain't nobody beeped you at all. You just faked it till you made it. (laughs) You had to go in there and I went in the sound system and I put that cassette tape in there and Ran back to the drums because I wanted to make sure I nailed the intro. So you stood. <laughs> you stood like this and you clicked the cassette and you took off running. It wasn't a very big church. You took off running and I, I got on the drums. The intro started, but I said, well, I'll figure it out. I played drums and I prayed and I would get frustrated because I would open the Bible and the woes and the vows and the these would confuse me and I had no idea and I would get frustrated because I wanted to know more of God but I wanted to know it right now I wanted it I wanted it to come right now see I want you to know tonight that you may just started out your journey living for God but you're blessed anyway You're so blessed that you don't have to have it all together right away in order for God to bless your life. You do what you know to the best of your ability and when the time is right and knowledge is given to you and you apply that knowledge to your life, then God's going to enhance it and you're going to be blessed for the kingdom. But don't get frustrated at knowing, trying to know everything right away. See, in the Bible, you know, everybody throws this term loosely Christianity. You get the bracelet, WWJD. You get the honk if you love Jesus. Be careful honking at people. I love Jesus. I honk. They must not love Jesus. Christianity, we deem it as a a good term when in fact in the Bible, it was not a good term. We view it as being like Christ, but in the Bible, it was viewed as you were branded as a heretic or a blasphemer because you follow the one that others claim to be the Messiah. And yes, Christianity is all about following Christ. And we have to do that on a daily basis. Number two, the difference between the prophetic understanding and doctrinal teaching. John three, you must be born again is not an understanding. It is an infallible truth. It is a command. Not, whereas not all prophecy teachers agree on certain subjects like when the Lord's return. Pastor spoke about 88 reasons why the Lord will come back in 1988. Not everyone knows about or knows who the 200 million man army is. Everyone thought Y2K was the all in all. Jesus is coming. Computers are shutting down. Anybody remember Y2K? I remember Y2K. I remember being in Raleigh at Brother Huntley's church and it was December 31st. And oh man, we were having communion and all night prayer meeting up and up until the new year. And I, I was a young, I was young and I was scared. I'd, we just had Irvin Baxter, who was a phenomenal, phenomenal prophecy teacher. I mean, He is phenomenal at teaching and dissecting the book of Revelation and Daniel and everything that pertains to prophecy. But he scared this young man. He said, I want you to look around right now. One in three of you will not make it. (laughs) I'm like, not it. (laughs) I'm going. I'm making it. He scared us so bad. 
It came time for prayer. I fell in the altar. I was wailing and travailing. Lord God, forgive me, Lord, of everything I'd ever done, said, thought, read, looked at, whatever. God, if there's anything in me, I'm begging for forgiveness. I want to make it, God. Don't, don't let me be the other two. I want to be the one. We didn't have, I didn't have a watch, watch on my wrist. We had a clock at the back of the church. So I was praying at the altar, Lord God. Oh, it's 12.53, Lord, Lord, or 11.53. I said, Lord God, help me. I'm so sorry. 11.54, man, this is the longest seven minutes of my life. <laughs> and it got to that time, 11.59, and I turned on my prayer wheel. I turned it on. Jesus' name, God, help me. And it struck 12 o'clock. I pulled out my beeper to make sure it's... <laughs> It was still working. I said, I'm going to pray to 101. It, maybe it's got to go 10 or 1201. And I prayed and nothing happened. A few minutes later, Pastor, Pastor Bishop Hundley said, oh, all right, folks, let's stand. We're going to unify prayer. I thought, well, Y2K didn't happen. Let's go to Rock and Roll Express and get some cheese fries. Jesus didn't come. But not when it comes to prophecy, it, there are different uh, ide- ideas of, of things and how it's, how it's to be. But... So there is a difference between a prophetic understanding and doctrinal teaching. There is, you can't come up with your own idea of John chapter 3. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said, We know that thou art a rabbi come from God, because no man can do these miracles except God be with him. And Jesus cut right to the chase and said, Marvel not, you must be born again. You can't argue that fact because that is the doctrine, that is the word. Many talk about the pre, the mid, the post-tribulation. There are certain subjects that we are allowed to disagree on. The 200 million man army. China, some say that China could do this. Some say men from Islam or the Muslim nation. Some even say 200 million demonic spirits will come and be that army. Some even say can argue and disagree on the nations that are represented as the animals. I.e. Germany equals the, could equal the four-headed leopard. So we see that there are some that sometimes that there can be variations, not everything, just some. However, when it comes to salvation and the doctrine, the word of God, there are no differences. It is the book with no box. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So there are eight prophetic parables of Jesus Christ. These are commonly accepted to be prophetic in nature. We understand that prophecy is to be both forthtelling and foretelling. The revelation of Jesus Christ is found throughout the Gospels. You would think that that's kind of a never would look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John as a place to find revelation of Jesus Christ. But it is found throughout those Gospels, not just in the book of Revelation. It would seem an unlikely place. However, there are eight, around eight parables that point to prophecy. So tonight we're going to take a look back on his intent on the earth through the, these eight parables, prophetic parables in the gospel that are commonly recognized as the prophetic word. These have been established for many, many years and quite some time. So number one, Matthew chapter 25 verse 1 through 13. I think they're going to help me out and put the scripture on there so you can follow along in there. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
And five of them were wise and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried. They all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves." And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know ye not, know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So how would this parable in the book of Matthew help us in being intentional as we live for God. Number one, preparation is the difference between the wise and the foolish. Concerning the preparation, if we intend on meeting Christ at his return, we have to prepare today. We cannot say, you know what, I'll wait till next Sunday and I'll get it right. We have to do it here and now because the word says that we're not promised tomorrow. So we have to prepare today. Now, In this parable, they both knew that the bridegroom was coming, yet only the wise were intentional. With that being said, we would be wise to take our families and begin to make sure that they are ready, that at any given moment, when the bridegroom comes, that we all are going to go with him. It's not enough as the husband of my home, the priest of my home, to make sure that I am ready, but I need to make sure that my wife and my children know all the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because when they know all the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ and his intent... They are ready for when the bridegroom comes. Number two, individuality. When the bridegroom comes, we can't save someone in the end. When that rapture takes place, that's the all end all. There's no second chance. Once that rapture happens, there, that, that, the Spirit of God is no longer upon the face of the earth. So we must prepare ourselves now, today, while there is still time. It is all about self-preparation. You know, there's many, there are many out there, um, that are ready for the Armageddon of the world, uh, called preppers. They, they get themselves ready. They create these homes that are great fortresses that can't be penetrated. They store canned food and water and they're preparing for something that they think is inevitable to happen where all electricity will be cut and water supplies and food supplies they're preparing on a daily basis in the in the case that that happens so how much more should we the body of Christ that believe that there is a heaven and a hell prepare on a daily basis that Jesus is coming back we've got to put oil in our lamps every single day whether through prayer or through the word we must prepare ourselves for that second that coming of Jesus Christ Acts chapter 2 and verse 40 says save yourselves I can't save anyone else at the end. The word tells me to save myself. So we have to do that. Number two, 
Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall, shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day. And when he looketh not for him, and in that hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the parable of the wise and the wicked servants. Verse 44 starts right out and it says, Be ye ready. Jesus starts out this parable about the servants that are, are commissioned to be watchful because you don't know when he's going to come, but... When he comes, he wants to come and make sure that you're attentive and intentional about your post and that you're looking for him to come. But he tells them to be ye ready. Why are we to be ready? For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. When I first heard of the rapture and living for God and Jesus is coming to take us home one day, I will be honest, the rapture scared me. And I remember them quoting this verse saying, it's in a moment when you think not. So I said, you know what? I'm going to help myself out and I'm going to think about it every single second of the day. Now by your laughter and your chuckle of response, some of you have probably done the same thing. Jesus is coming, 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 Jesus is coming. And about three seconds in, my ADD kicks in and I'm like, squirrel. I completely forget that Jesus is coming. It was a good effort, but I had the whole idea of it wrong. It's not about saying it over and over in my mind. It's living my life every day as he is coming. So it's not what I think when it com comes about his coming. It's about how I live. Because if I'm living, then my mind is in the operation of the spirit. If I'm living for God. Verse 46, it says, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Everybody say doing. He comes, find, he comes finding them doing. Doing what? The doing is the part of our life. The word is already settled. It is already established. It's up to us to activate the word, to do something with what has been given given to us that is the doing because faith without works is what it's not good enough to just talk about doing it you know what i'm really going to change i'm really going to stop doing that and then you know what yeah I, I i can't talk speak for you but i can speak for me i start a diet every monday morning i've changed my vernacular you know what i'm not going to start a diet i'm going to start eating healthier and I pass by Burger King and them flame bro burgers are coming out into the airways. I'm telling you, the Bible says the devil is the prince of the air. And he works at Burger King. 
<laughs> I have good intentions of doing it. But I lack the, in, the, the, the actual doing it. It's not enough to just talk about it. We have to do it. So what is our doing in the church, in the kingdom of God? It's working in the kingdom. It's, it's sowing in the field. It's watering. It's plowing. It's reaching. It's discipling. It's, it's teaching Bible studies. It's whatever your hands find to do. Being a friend. Making a friend. Becoming a disciple. Making a disciple. That's what the doing is a part of our life. If we are going to be intentional about growth, and about the next stage of New Life Fellowship. We've got to be about doing. We cannot sit back and have, you know, this relaxed recliner mentality that says, well, sister so-and-so's doing that, brother so-and-so's doing that. No, God's commissioned me. I take the intent revelation of God on the earth personal that if nobody else is in this room God is talking to me sister Carrie Martinez I was speaking to her before service tonight and just getting some insight on how God's doing some great things through her and you know she's doing something for God and not only is she doing it but sister Amber is now doing something for God we gotta all join in we could sit back and say woo Sister Martinez, go girl. Sister Amber, do it. And many of other you are, are doing it as well. We could know about that and sit back and say, oh, you're doing it. You go ahead. We're just going to kick back right here in the Lazy Boy, drink a sweet tea, eat a barbecue sandwich, and some Bojangle French fries. God doesn't want us to have a recliner mentality. we got to treat the kingdom of God, the, the, the field of harvest that God has given to us, as if it was up, up to us. No one else is going to do it. It's got to be up to me. If we are to prepare our families for His coming, we must pray for a doer mentality. Lord, help me to be a doer, a doer of the word not only in the house of God, but in my home and in my job, when I go to the grocery store, when I drop off my dry cleaning. Wherever I go, I want to be a doer. See, this parable deals also with the attitude of distinction. The attitude of distinction. Because if we don't believe He's coming, you will live any way you want. Because believing equals constrained. In other words, if I believe that he's coming, I'm going to constrain my flesh to live a certain way. I'm going to make my flesh come into subjection to the spirit through prayer and through fasting because I believe that he's coming. Now, I don't do so in the fact of fear, in the face of fear. Oh, he's coming. I'm, I'm scared. No, I do it because I want to be a part of his intent. Mark chapter uh, 13, number three. Mark chapter 13. Verse 34, for the son of man is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what shall I say unto you? I say unto all, watch. So this is the parable of the watchful porter. 
This parable derives out of the fact that we are not omnipresent. We can't be everywhere at the same time. There are limitations of the flesh. And here's what the limitations of the flesh are. That we are not omnipresent. You know, it's so funny. You watch kids and um, they have an iPhone or they have an iPad and they'll be on the iPad or the iPhone and they'll be playing a game on the iPhone or the iPad all the while watching something else on Netflix. They're trying to do two things at one time, trying to, to get as much as they can in in the allotted time that they're given. So they, they got the iPhone playing the game all the while they're watching or doing something on another entertaining device. You know, right now they have this really cool upgrade in man caves. If, if you're into the man cave deal, they have this device that you can plug into your TV and, and it will allow you to not, you know, used to you could watch two football games at one time. When this device allows your screen to split into eight or more different squares in order to get every game at the same time. That wouldn't work for me. I can multitask, but I want to focus, I want to see what's going on because this game may be boring, but this one over here is scoring a touchdown. But we are so enthralled in, 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 in with wanting more and having everything at the same time and, you know, don't want to miss out on anything that we get these devices. That way we can do everything we want at the same time. We try to be omnipresent, not only in the physical, but in the mind as well. But we cannot. It is a limitation of our flesh. People aren't watching for its coming because there is a difference between, between sight and understanding and hearing and comprehend, hearing, comprehending, excuse me. I can look around and see that we are living in the time of his rapture, the, the catching away that we are nearer than ever before. The wars, the rumors of wars, the earthquakes, the famines, the pestilence and diseases, the, the tragedies that are happening all over the world. The concerning state that we are in is that we have become accustomed to seeing these things on a daily basis so that we fail to watch. It's norm now. We hear of an earthquake in California or Chile or Mexico or somewhere of a great devastation and we just simply pass it off as if it is nothing because We've become accustomed to hearing those things. And what that can do is it can allow us to be mentally and spiritually lullabied into a place where we're not watching for His coming. It doesn't have that same effect on us. So we lose the watching, the waiting, the anticipation. And we get lullabied into sleep. This parable says the watchful porter. He said, I want you to be watching because when I come, I don't want to find you sleeping. He said, I'm not just saying it to you. I'm saying it to all. Watch. Watch. We got to be looking for it day in and day out. There's times I drive down the road and when I'm coming back east, uh, I, I, I look up and I say, you know, I think to myself sometimes, someday that sky could split. I could be looking up and the sky split and I'd be caught away. 
I think about it at times because, you know, the old song says, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. We're pilgrims and strangers here. We shouldn't put all of our proverbial eggs in one basket here on earth because I don't live for here, I live for eternity. That's why I want to be watchful and hopeful that one day when that day comes and that last drum sounds, I was intentional about my life that I am caught up together with them. I want to be a watchful porter. The fourth parable is the parable of the two sons found in Matthew 28, 21, 28 through 32. But what thank ye, think ye, a certain man had two sons and came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. They say, say unto him the first. Jesus saith unto them verily or truly I say unto you. The publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. And ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye when ye had seen it repented not afterward that ye might believe him. There's two important things that this parable of prophecy is showing us. Number one is that the Lord is concerned for his vineyard. He told them to go work in my vineyard. The work of the kingdom. It is the gospel. It is our commission to go ye into all the world. And teach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. It is reaching the lost. That is the vineyard. Our vineyard is not within these four walls. Our vineyard is the co-worker that's beside you. Or the one you pass by in the grocery store or the restaurant. Your waiter or waitress. That is your field. That is your vineyard. And God is telling us as New Life Fellowship, go and work the vineyard. Go and work the vineyard. Verse 31. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. The will of the father. What is the will of the father? The will of the father is that all men be saved. The will of the father always includes self-sacrifice. I remember a message pastor preached some time ago. He preached called... A sermon called, Thy Will. Thy Will. Lord, whatever you want, I just want Thy Will. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about my kingdom, it's about His kingdom. It's not about my church, it's about His church. It's Thy Will. Verse 32. This verse deals with the Pharisees. They don't, the, these are those that, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They, they thought they were okay, but they didn't do anything with it. You know, there will be people that will be lost believing and thinking that the declaration of the kingdom was enough. They were thinking, just saying, I believe it is enough. Declaring, I'm a Christian is enough. Declaration is not enough. But declaration plus action is the will of God. It's like repentance and doing. You can't say you're sorry and turn right back around and do the same thing. We've all told our children that at times. You can't, you can't do that and say you're sorry and ten minutes later you're hitting your sister again or your brother. 
You can't repent and continue to, to do it. Once you repent, you have to move forward and do something with that repentance. See, the Pharisees knew they had a lot of knowledge, but they didn't do anything with that knowledge. In order to ensure the salvation of our families, there must be a declaration. We are apostolic. That is a declaration. I am apostolic through and through. That is my declaration to my kids. We are one God, apostolic, Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus' name. That's what we are. That is a declaration of my life. But there also has to be an action with that declaration. I can't say I'm apostolic and filled with the Holy Ghost and have an action that is contrary to my declaration. There has to be declaration plus action. We can't just talk about Him coming. We can't have the revelation of just the birth and the revelation of the oneness of God. We have to have the revelation on the intention of Jesus Christ here on earth. That has to include doing on our part. Parable number five is the parable of the tenants. This is found in Mark chapter uh, 12 And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and he set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country and at the season he sent to the husbandmen a servant that he might receive from the husband of the fruit of the vineyard and they caught him and beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent unto them another servant and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another and they him they killed and many others beating some and killing some. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them saying, they will reverence my son. But those husband, husbandmen said among those among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandman and will give the vineyard unto others. And have ye not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hold on him but feared the people for they knew that he had spoken the parable against them, against them and they left him and went their way. The certain man in verse 9 or the Lord of the vineyard represents God, the eternal spirit. The husbandman represents Israel. So what we have is the Lord of the vineyard, God, the eternal spirit, is sending servants out into this vineyard while the nation of Israel, the husbandmen, are beating them and killing them and taking them away because they want nothing to do with it. The son represents Jesus Christ. The Lord of the vineyard was going to destroy them. He prophesied. This is a prophecy of his own death. Now, I want you to notice that the modern day church can fall into the realm of husbandmen. If we reject 
the preached word and those who God has set at authority in our lives, we can become just like the husbandman. Basically, the Lord of the vineyard was sending men to this place to, to build a hedge and a, a, a dig a place for the wine fat and a tower. And they we kept sending servants, but they were being rejected. It's like the word getting up and being preached to you week in and week out. And you just say, no, I don't want that. We're not physically beating it or physically killing it. But we're in our spirit. We're saying, no, that's not for me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to repeat this parable. I don't want to be a part of this action. We cannot let the vineyard, our field, be given to someone else. God has commissioned us and our families to be the stewards of this kingdom. Somebody ought to say amen. Are we doing okay? All right. Someone said, someone said, oh, there's a lot of lines on here. I said, well, I got to give them something to do. When I sat down with pastor and was going over this, I'll be honest, I, I'm not very good at handouts. And I said, do I have to do a handout? He goes, oh yeah, time to stretch you a little bit. I said, as long as you stretch me up and not out. <laughs> and I said, I got, <laughs> he texted me, said, do you have your outline ready? I said, oh yeah, yeah, I got it ready. It's going to say eschatology, the blank of prophecy, New Life Fellowship, Reverend Blank Barber. September blank 2018, leave the bottom blank. Make your own notes. As many of you know, our pastor, that doesn't go real well. <laughs> I was only kidding when I said it, just so you know. I was only kidding. So I, I, hope, I hope we're doing okay. I hope we're doing okay. Number six is the, the, the parable of the barren fig tree found in Luke chapter 13, verse 6 through 9. And he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then he said unto the dresser of, this, of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it? Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till... I shall dig about it and dung it, fertilize it, in other words. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Jesus speaks of this parable of the fig tree that as he came upon it, it had no fruit. The first problem here is that there is a relation of people, a relation to people looking the part, but they're not bearing any fruit. You know, you can, they, they see the shape and the model and the make, but that does not mean that there is fruit. Someone, one time, many years ago, in my lack of understanding and wisdom, um, it was a, a young person. I, I was young, they were young, same age. Still wasn't okay, but. I said, hey, man, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's not right. He goes, don't you judge me. I said, I'm not judging you. I'm a fruit inspector. <laughs> I said, if you have fruit, you, you won't do that. All right, you got me. I won't do that no more. <laughs> but we can look the part, but if we're not bearing fruit, before we pray for the gifts of the Spirit, we ought to pray for the fruit of the Spirit. 
Because God's more concerned with our fruit than he is our gift. The real definition of an apple is that it produces apples. So self-declaration without real fruit. It's in other words, claiming to be or have something with not evidence of growth. I, I evaluate myself often. I look at myself, I at least annually, maybe biannually, I evaluate myself and I look at myself spiritually. Not meaning I don't do it on a daily basis, but I really dig into my life on, on a, a, a consistent basing. Am I further along now than I was six months ago or a year ago? Is my prayer life better now than it was a year ago? Is my worship better now than it was then? Is my fasting life better now than it was then? Do I love more? Do I have more mercy and and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and patience? Do I bear these fruits of the Spirit? Now, I believe that there has to be some self-evaluating in our Christian walk in order to make sure that there is fruit that is hanging off of our tree. If there's one thing I've learned about being a part of New Life is that not only is this the greatest church that I've ever been in and among the greatest people, I've learned to show mercy and I've learned what love is all about. I've learned what true love is among the people among you just being around you and 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 being a part of you and integrating my life into yours and vice versa you've taught me what the fruit of the spirit of love is i had love yes i had love but now i have a different understanding of love i have had a revelation of god's intent for love in my life through you And rightly so should it be in each one of us. We should build up our most holy faith, not only from the word and the preach word and the taught word, but from each other. We ought to encourage one another. It ought to make you want to grow deeper and stronger in God by the walk of someone else. Not in a spirit of competition, but that we are the body of Christ and we want to grow together. In the love of God. And we want to bear fruit. I want people to walk in here. Guests that I've had that have came in and said, man, this shouting and talking in tongues stuff and hand clapping and people running and dancing. Woo. I don't know much about that, but man, there's something there. It's so much love and, and you feel grace and mercy and you just, you feel it when you walk in the door and that's what the church is all about. That's what's going to win them. The doctrine is what's going to save them, but what's going to bring them as your disciple is the fruit of the spirit. I don't want to be cut off from the blessings of God because I'm not bearing fruit. And that's what this parable says. Jesus looked at the fig tree and said, well, it's not bearing, it's not bearing fruit. It's got to be cut down. God help us to bear fruit in our life. If it's just a little bit of fruit at a time, let us begin to grow in the fruit of the spirit. Somebody should say amen. Sorry, that was a little treaching. Almost. I'm trying, I'm holding back. (laughs) The second part of this parable relates to the mercy of God. Verse 8, he asked the Lord to spare it this time, that he would take time to nurture it and tend to it. This really speaks to the nation of Israel. They had ceremonies, traditions, yet they hurt one another. They spoke ill of one another. And we in this modern church age have the same types of tendencies, traditions, ceremonies that we do 
But, you know, don't misunderstand me. We don't give up on our traditions. We must careful. We must be even the more careful not to hurt one another. I want to see you in Walmart, the other church. <laughs> I'm preaching now. <laughs> it's just like the rapture. You got to watch for it. You got to watch for them falling prices. I'm sorry. That's a bad joke. That's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) But when I see a Pentecostal in Walmart, I don't go, oh my gosh, there's a Pentecostal. Oh, Lord. I don't turn down the the diaper aisle. I don't go down the automotive aisle or the, the clearance aisle. You know what I do? Praise the Lord. Hey, how are you? Do you? Where do you go to church at? I talk to them. Sometimes it throws them. Oh, you, because, you know, it's hard to tell most apostolic men. And I shock them. I'm like, hey, praise the Lord. And they're like, praise the Lord. <laughs> but I want them to know that just because they're not a part of this fold and this flock, that we're still brothers and sisters in God. I want to be kind that when I pass by, I want to say, hey, praise the Lord. How you doing? It's about investing in people. Fruit is about investment. Because if I invest in people, I learn to love. Because we've heard the saying, there's sometimes some people just don't seem lovable. But the more you get to know them, you learn to love them. And show them that there is a love, that you're not going to push me away. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love on you. Amen. We can't look at others and judge them while we bear no fruit ourselves. This prophecy is foretelling and foretelling. It It is what has come and what is to come. There will be a time when repentance will be no more and God's mercy will be cut off from us. See, that's what the fig tree represented as well. It bears no fruit. It will be cut down. I just don't want to look and sound and have the mannerisms and the traditions of being in the church. I want to make sure that my life is fulfilling the intention by the revelation that God has given me here tonight of bearing fruit on this earth. Mercy asks for judgment for a time for it to produce fruit. That's what mercy did. Mercy said, hold on, hold on, hold on. If you'll just, if, if you'll take a moment, just give me a little bit of time. Let me nurture it. Let me, let me tend to it a little more. I'll dig around about it. I'll fertilize it. And if it's not bearing fruit this time, then we can do your will. So mercy asks for judgment for a time to produce fruit. This is the time of grace. Grace is the period from which judgment should be made, but it is held off. That's the parable of the fig tree. Number seven. It's the parable of the wedding feast found in Matthew 22. And I'll read quickly. Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and has sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. 
But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth and sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found both good and bad and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to his servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for as many are, for many are called, but few are chosen." Servants were sent out that night to invite guests to the wedding, bid them to come, only for them to make light of and to go back along their their personal way to their farm and their merchandise. And they despitefully began using the servants. The original Jewish leaders were bidden, but they were not deemed worthy. That's why verse 9 commissions the servants to go into the highways and as many as you shall find, bid them to come. We, this parable speaks to, to this simple fact. We cannot look at someone based on the car they drive, the clothes that they wear, the color of their skin, or what we think their financial status quo is. We have to bid whosoever will, let him come. We have to invite everybody that we see. There's a great thing happening. You need to come and be a part of it. You're invited to it. I thank God that no one pushed me aside at 15 when I wore the same clothes every single day. I thank God that nobody looked at me and said, Tim, you know, it's really about time to change those, those dark blue pants and that three-quarter length shirt that's your grandpa's. It was a normal, it was a short sleeve shirt, but I was so little it came, I was holy from the get-go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's another bad joke. <laughs> but thank God nobody said this kid's never going to amount to anything. He's never going to be anything. He's never going to do anything for God based upon what I looked like. We cannot look at people and say, well, they're not going to make it. We don't know the potential or the purpose that God has intended for each and everybody that we come and pass with. You don't know where the next Lee Stone King is. You don't know where the next Nona Freeman you're going to pass by wherever you go among your life journey. That's why God is commissioned us to bid them to come and we must do so with urgency the highways and the hedges are the gentiles the gentiles were not even in the equation even on the day of pentecost because salvation was for the chosen people the jews it wasn't until acts chapter 10 that the lord spoke to peter to not call what he has cleansed common or unclean all while cornelius was praying god was preparing peter to reach the gentiles with the gospel see the jewish leaders in this time were more concerned about money and power and no one at that time ever imagined that the gentiles would be included in this marriage supper so we got to remember that we are discovering the prophetic revelation of Jesus Christ through his intent on the earth though the birth is the greatest event known to humanity his life was the expository of his ministry that we are proving here tonight revelation one and one the revelation of Jesus Christ and his intent on this earth through us 
And we come to our final parable of prophecy, number eight. It is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Found in Matthew 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one of one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. For but as for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. His wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me, I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee of all that debt because thou desirest of me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. We think this prophecy is reg- regulated to forgiveness. We look at it as, oh, this, re- this prophecy is all about forgiveness. His master forgave him. That was compassion. So we have here, we have mankind with Jesus and we have mankind with mankind. We have mankind with Jesus, which is forgiveness. God looks at our life and he grants us forgiveness when we ask. But then we also have mankind with mankind because the man that received forgiveness did not give forgiveness. He kept, he kept record of that man's hundred pence. And he held him accountable for that even though he himself was forgiven of much. The context ends at verse 34. His Lord was wroth. He was angry due to the simple fact that the very servant that he forgave of all his debts had went. He, he, he didn't just say, you know what, you owe me money. The Bible says he sought him out. He purposely, intentionally went to that person that owed him something and said, you owe me money. You know, there's going to be times in your life where when God forgives you of something, it's going to trigger something that someone else has done to you. And your flesh is going to want payment for that occurrence. But we have to be intentional about Jesus Christ on this earth. And we cannot go to that person and say, you know what? You remember that time you did this to me or you owe me that. We have to not only receive forgiveness, but we have to give forgiveness. Receiving it is easy sometimes. Giving it is not so much. Because we're not God. We can't forgive and forget. That's the beauty of repentance. I tell people in Bible study, repentance is where God forgives us of our sins, but he doesn't erase it from my memory because God keeps it there. In my personal opinion, God keeps it there. Therefore, I don't go back to what I was. 
I know that God, you've forgiven me of this. Therefore, I've got to stay the course and keep doing what you've called me to do. Verse 35, it says, likewise, the father will do unto you. We tend to believe that the place of punishment or hell and damnation will just include immoral sins. People that are real bad. On the contrary, it is also for unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I want to have a forgiving spirit. Not only in the church, but in my home. Because we can get to the place where we say, oh, that's just my wife. You know, we'll, we'll move on. Or that's just my children. We'll move on. There's times I've had to go to my son or my daughter and kneel down beside their bed and say, I want you to, I want to ask you to forgive daddy. I was wrong. There's times that we have to humble ourselves and go and ask for forgiveness because we have been forgiven. So, who is the unmerciful servant? Unmerciful servant. 2 Timothy 3, 1-4 through 4 says it this way. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, Fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So this revelation is to be, is for us to be watchful, looking to show mercy and to give forgiveness. If we are to be intentional about our walk with God, we have to be watching We have to be looking. We have to show mercy and we have to give forgiveness. This is the eight prophetic prophet, prophetic parable, excuse me. I don't know about you tonight, but I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed by God. And if I'm to be blessed, I have to hear it. I have to understand it and I have to take heed to it. Not just enough to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I have to take heed enough to what I know and the revelation that's been given to me to change my life. For there will be people that stand before God declaring, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. Even we have done many mighty miracles and works in your name. And the Lord will stand there and he he will say, depart from me. All due to my unwillingness to forgive. In my closing statement tonight, I want to say this. If we are to fulfill the final prophecy of God's intent on this earth, it is imperative that we see the revelation of his birth, the revelation of his life, the revelation of of the Godhead. That we got to see that it's more than Christmas story. It's more... Than just hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It is when we see his intent on the earth at the end of time. And that we have prepared ourselves, we have prepared our families for what is to come. Because whether we believe it or not, right now, there is coming a day when we will be called away.